Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Revelation is not the first place that you've ever heard of these things or these experiences or what is going to be happening. But God tells us in his word this, in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, listen to these words. Amos 3, 7, it says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. You hear what that says? The God, God does nothing in this world until first he has revealed his secret counsel to us through his prophets. That means that whatever's taking place and whatever's happening in the Revelation, it has already been prophesied that this is going to happen. So I'm going to give you just three uh, previous prophecies, three previous witnesses of what was going to take place. One of those is found in the book of Daniel. Write down Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, many of you have heard, if you know you studied the book of Daniel, you've heard of Daniel's 70 weeks and the 70th week. Most people believe, most theologians believe that what this is, the 70th week is this time, these seven years of tribulation. When it talks about the 70 weeks of Daniel, those weeks represent uh, seven years. So when it says 70 weeks, it's 70 times seven are 490 years. And Daniel there in chapter 9, beginning about verse 25, he prophesies and God reveals to Daniel a truth that he'd been seeking for. He wanted to know a vision he had seen. And he tells him about the events that are going to happen in the history of Israel. And he says that there are going to be 70 weeks of the history of Israel where Israel is primarily the witness and the one that God uses to share his glory with all the world. He breaks those down into three different sections. He said there are going to be seven weeks, and then there are going to be 62 weeks, and then there's going to be a final week. He tells you when it will happen. He says that the beginning of those 70 weeks happens when Jerusalem was rebuilt and reestablished after its fall and whenever they were exiled over into Babylon. He tells you it's going to happen in that year. And if you want to know that year, it's 444 B.C. That's when the wall was completed and everything in the, in the uh, life in Jerusalem was established, 444 B.C. Okay? Then there's going to be seven years, or seven years, that would be 49 years, and those 49 years would take place. And then there's going to be, he says, beyond that, there's going to be 62 uh, times seven. That number of years is going to take place. And he says, in that period of time is going to be whenever God is using Israel to be a witness, and the time that that 69th year ends is when the Messiah comes and the Messiah is cut off from Israel. We know who the Messiah is, right? The Messiah is Jesus. And we know when the Messiah was recognized. Do you remember when Jesus was recognized as the Messiah? It's whenever he came in, what, riding that donkey. The triumphal entry, whenever they're calling him the Messiah. And there's the exact number of years from that particular time when 
Israel, when Jerusalem was established to the time when Jesus was the Messiah. And then it says he's recognized him as the Messiah and he is what? He is cut off. What happens less than a week after he enters on that triumphal entry? What takes place? He's killed. He's killed by, by the Jews. He's killed by the Romans. He's cut off. Now, we know that he's resurrected. And we know that in that resurrection, that he says that through that resurrection and through what he's going to do, he was going to establish his church. Remember that? He said he's going to establish his church. Not only did he say he's going to establish his church, he foretold to the Jews that he says, because you have rejected the chief cornerstone, it will be given to another to have the opportunity to build upon it. He's talking about the church age. So for 69 years out of those 70, God's been dealing with Israel, using Israel to be his witness, to be his power. Now when the Messiah comes and is cut off, there's going to be a period of time called the church age, the church age. When Jesus established the church, whenever uh, Israel has rejected the Messiah and he turns to the Gentiles and the Jews and whoever would believe and accept him as the Messiah, this is called the church age which we're living in. But the church age, as we've talked about, is going to come to an end when? When the church is what? Is raptured. When the church is raptured, that is the end of the church age. That's what's happening in in chapters 4 and 5. That's when the church is there in, in heaven with God and there worshiping the Lamb. The church age is over. The rapture of the church has happened. And now there is one week left, the 70th week. And remember, those weeks have seven days. The weeks of years, there are seven years. And so this time that is being described here in this particular book, beginning in chapter 6, all the way to the end of the book, is talking about those seven years of tribulation. The seven years of tribulation are that final week of Daniel. That was foretold back in the time of Daniel about what is going to take place, and God gives a calendar. Now, I'm going to give to you that calendar of days. I'm not going to give it to you right now, but what I'm trying to do is give you some information and then get back in the text. But I'm going to give you that breakdown of the calendar years of how it goes from the time when Jerusalem is built to the fact the Messiah is cut off to the church age all the way out to the seven years of tribulation and what happens in the seven years of tribulation. Because remember, the seven years of tribulation are divided into half. There's three and a half years when it says the sorrow, the pains of sorrow, are what will be called the tribulation. And the final three and a half years are the time of the great tribulation. You'll understand that more as we get in the passage and see what happens with the Antichrist and what he's going to do in those final three and a half years. But the first witness we have is Daniel. Daniel, years before this happened, says this is what's going to take place in Israel. This is what's going to happen in the church age. This is what's going to be the final seven years. He helps us to know that. Another uh, witness is found in Ezekiel 14, verse 21. Ezekiel 14, verse 21. This has to do with uh, the four horsemen we're about to read about. And it's God telling how he judges Israel. Listen to these words. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem. God identifies his four judgments. 
This is not man. This is God saying, this is what I use. These are the instruments that I use to judge Jerusalem or to judge a people. Here they are. The sword, famine, wild beast, and plague to cut off man and beast from it. Did you get it? Here here, here they are. The sword, it's going to be important, famine, wild beast, and plagues are the instrument God uses to judge his people. And you're going to find out it's going to be the same instrument God uses to judge the world, to judge the world. Ezekiel, years before this, years before what's about going to be happening, years before even the church age, says God judges using these four instruments. That's how he brings judgment. A final witness or testimony that a prophet would give was given by the greatest prophet who ever lived. Who is the greatest prophet who ever lived? Jesus, (laughs) right? I mean, you don't think of Jesus as a prophet? He's a prophet. Jesus is a preacher. He's a proclaimer, all right? He's the greatest preacher, prophet who ever lived. And he, in his preaching, while he was here in his ministry for only three and a half years, he preaches and proclaims about what's going to happen in the Revelation. You find it in Matthew 24. There are only two sermons that Jesus preached, and he preached many. But actually, only two sermons that are recorded that he preached. One of those is the Sermon on the Mount. You know about that one, right? The Sermon on the Mount. What's the Sermon on the Mount about? It's about how to live. How we're to live, how to relate to one another, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to have your life transformed. That's what the whole uh, Sermon on the Mount is about. But the second sermon he preaches is found in Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, it is called the Olivet Discourse or the Olivet Sermon. And do you know what that sermon deals with? You know why it was preached? Because Jesus' disciples said, Jesus, when is the end time coming? Jesus, when is all this going to, going to come to an end? What are the signs of the end time? And Jesus preaches a message in chapter 24 of Matthew all about what's going to happen at the end time. Now, let me just share with you. Jesus is the one who prophesies it, and Jesus is also the one who is going to what? Bring it to pass. Amen? Now, there are a lot of years in between, but Jesus is the one who's going to tell what's going to happen, and now in the Revelation, we're seeing what Jesus is doing and how he is overseeing all of those things. So, do you think Jesus might actually understand what was going to take place? I think we can trust him. Amen? I think we can trust him. So, let me give you a little outline for you to write down, for you to be able to take. We don't have time to look at both the passages, but I want you to write down. Whenever we begin in chapter 6, and the seals began to be broken. Remember, there's this scroll that's got those seals, and those seals are how this world is going to be redeemed. How the end time is going to be accomplished. How God is going to do that to bring back his world and bring back the inheritance to his people. And so in those seals, each of those seals begin to be broken. And as they're broken, something begins to happen and something begins to take place. We'll look at four of those today. But let me just share with you the the, uh, basic outline. 
And I want to compare, if, you, if you're able to put this, put Matthew 24 on this side and put, put Revelation 6 on the other side. Revelation 6 is about the first six seals. The first thing we're going to find out today is that the first seal, when it is broken, the false Christ or the Antichrist is coming on the scene. All right? That is found in verses 1 and 2 of Revelation 6. The exact same thing is the fact Jesus talks about the false Christ coming in Matthew 24, 4 through 5. The next thing we're going to find out when he breaks the second seal is that wars, wars are coming. And he tells about that in Revelation 6, 3 through 4. And Jesus proclaimed that in Matthew 24, 6 through 7a. The next thing we'll find out comes on the scene when the third seal is broken is that famine is going to come into the world. That's in verses 5 and 6 of Revelation 6. It is in 7b of Matthew 24. The next thing is going to happen is it says death and Hades are coming. That's in 7 7 and 8 of Revelation 6. And it's 7b and 8 of Matthew 24. Then he talks about the martyrs. They're going to be martyrs. That's in 9, verses 9 through 11 of Revelation 6. It's verses 9 and 10 of Matthew 24. It's going to tell about the sun, moon, and stars, dramatic things happening with them. Remember, the sun's going to, the moon's going to turn to blood. The sun's going to be darkened. That is proclaimed in Revelation 6, verses 12 through 14, and also in Matthew 24, verse 29. Then it talks about divine judgment. The divine judgment and the chaos that's going to be in the world, that's in Revelation 6, verses 15 through 17, and Matthew 24, 32, and following. You see how they follow the sequence? In other words, everything Jesus said is going to happen and going to take place at the end of the time. He prophesied that. Now you find out when the revelation is beginning to be revealed and the seals are going to be broken... It happens just exactly like Jesus says. So we know this, we know this, that God has already foretold through three prophets about the events that are going to take place in the Revelation. He's already let us know through those, and there are many others, but those are just three. Through those three prophets, he has let us know that the events of the Revelation are going to take place. Now, For those of us who live here now, let me tell you something else. The revelation itself is the final word. See, it hasn't happened yet, right? But we still have the word of what is going to happen. It's going to happen. You can bank on it. It's going to take place, just like Jesus says it's going to take place. It's going to happen. The judgment is going to come to this world. And there's a reason behind that and a purpose behind that, all right? We need to understand it. It was foretold by prophet, but the revelation and what we go through right here is the final witness. Now, listen to me just a second. I am not here to share with you a bunch of knowledge so that you can feel comfortable that you know the revelation. That is not the purpose of this. The entire purpose of sharing with you about the revelation and about the events that are about to happen is that you would be saved, that you will be saved, that you will be redeemed. That you will not face the things that we're talking about beginning in chapter 6. It is going to be horrible, I'm here to tell you. But not only that you would be saved, but that anybody you care about would be saved. Amen? 
If you care about them, you love them, you don't want them to go through these things, then you ought to be busy praying for them, sharing with them, loving on them, helping them to understand that today is the day of grace and today is the day of salvation. And you and I, as Christians, we ought to love people we don't even know. Amen? And so we ought to be praying for them, and we ought to be giving all we can to help missionaries share the gospel of Christ. We ought to be about the business of the kingdom because the revelation and the prophecy is given as a final word to say, this is going to happen. And you don't have to be here because you are a part of the church age. You are at a part where Jesus is going to rapture you up, and you'll be in glory before this happens. But also, it's a warning to us that those of us who have heard the gospel, those of us who know the truth of the gospel, but we reject Jesus, we will not have an opportunity to be saved. We will not have, we will have missed our opportunity. Our opportunity is in this day of grace, the church age. When we've heard the message and we have rejected that message, then there will be a deluding spirit that comes on us whereby we will not know the truth and will not respond to the truth. People who have not heard, they'll have a chance to be saved. But for those of us who've rejected the truth, our day is now and there will not be another day. People say, well, I'll just wait till it all happens. And whenever I see all these people get raptured up and they're not here anymore, then that's when I'll get saved. No, you won't. Oh, no, you won't. You won't. You will have missed your opportunity. And so the purpose of the revelation is for you and me to be saved, for us to be redeemed, right? So that's the prophets telling about what we're about to read here in the revelation. But look at Revelation 6. We ended last time, the lamb who is worthy, who was slain and who is standing, talking about Jesus, he is now taking the book and he can break the seals. And he's going to break these seals to reveal two things primarily. He's going to reveal how God is going to bring about judgment upon this world in order to bring this world back to him and in order to get the world ready for us to inherit. Remember, we're going to, as children of God, we're supposed to what? Inherit the earth. Some of you said, no, that's not what it says. It says the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, bless God, you ought to be meek, amen? (laughs) You're supposed to be meek. You're supposed to be like Christ. All those beatitudes is not one that you choose. You're supposed to be all of those things. And, And the promise to us is we shall inherit the earth. But it's not worth inheriting right now in the sight of God, amen? So he's got to get it right. He's got to redeem creation. He's got to make creation right. And and this is going to tell you how he's going to cleanse this earth how he's going to do it, and also going to tell you how it returns to be the fact that God's primary work is not now through the church. The church is no more there. But he returns that his primary place of getting glory and bearing witness are going to be through the Jews. It's going to be an unbelievable time for the Jews. They're going to turn to Christ, and they're going to accept him as the Messiah. They're going to have that opportunity At that time, they're going to be witnesses for Christ in in bold ways. And God's going to return where those those seven years, it's going to cost them, all right? But those seven years, they're going to finish out that 70th year that God chose them to be a witness of his glory and be the instrument 
whereby he reveals himself to the world. The church is not here anymore. You got it? So, what we begin is we have the seven seals. The seven seals are going to be open. One, two, three, four, five, six. Then you have a little interlude there that's going to tell you something. You have to get the chronology of the Bible. You don't just read the Revelation all the way through. Chapter 6 is chronological. Chapter 7 is just a little footnote. It tells you about some things that are happening, about who can be saved and who's going to be saved during that. Then you pick back up over in chapter, chapter 9 where it's going to talk about the or chapter 8. You'll pick back up where it's going to be the seventh trump, or seventh seal. And then here's what happens. The seventh seal, whenever it is broken, it reveals seven trumpets, all right? And those seven trumpets are of judgment. And so you're going to read about those seven trumpets. And then whenever you get through the seven trumpets, you're going to have the seven bowls of wrath, which are the final and ultimate and horrible things that are going to happen in this world in order for it to be purified and made right. But all this time in there, the Jews are being witnesses for Christ's sake. The Jews are being witnesses of who the Messiah is. But here in chapter 6, we're going to begin opening those seals. That's what it says. We're going to look through verse 8 today. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Let's stop there. The first seal is broken. When that first seal is broken, it says that I heard one of the living creatures. Who are those four living creatures? Who are they? What are they? They are the cherubim. They are the cherubim of God. They are these special angels who carry out the administration of God, the purpose and plans of God on this earth. They're responsible for whatever God wants to be done on this earth. However it needs to be administrated, they're going to administrate it. They were leaders in worship in chapters 4 and 5. But now the worship as far as what's happening in heaven is moved down to what's going to happen on the earth. And now they become administrators of what's going to take place. Jesus breaks the first seal. And whenever he breaks the first seal, the first of those living creatures, those first of those cherubim, He calls forth and says, come, come. Now, if you have the King James Version, your uh, translation is probably going to say, come see. That's not a good translation, all right? I'm not being critical of King James. It's just not what the Greek says, all right? It doesn't say, come see, because when it says, come see, it seems like he's inviting John to come see what's going to happen. That's not what's taking place. He's not inviting John to come see what's going to happen at the first seal, But rather, the angel himself is the one who is the administrator and who has the power. And he says to that first horseman, that white horse, come. Now, let me tell you what's great about that. God is sovereign and he is in charge. Amen? There is never a time, there is never a time in all of this revelation, as horrible as it's going to be, There is never a time that God relinquishes his throne. 
Whatever happens and whatever he allows Satan to do and whatever takes place in this world, it's because he has orchestrated, because he has ordained it. And the way it begins when the seal is broken, that first cherubim says to that first horseman, you can come. You can come. You can't come. He can't come until God says he can. Amen? It's not going to be on Satan's timetable. It's God's timetable of how all this is going to take place. Now, that ought to make you feel hallelujah, praise God, glory to him. You ought to have done something. We serve a God who's in charge. We are not the disposal of Satan. He doesn't make any choices. He doesn't do much except God uses him as a pawn in his plan. Amen? Look what it says, though. He breaks the first seal. One of the cherubim with a voice of thunder says, come. Here it is. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse is a white horse. He who rides upon it rides a white horse. Now, here's the question. Who is this horseman? Who is this person? Is this Jesus? Is, is this Jesus who's riding? Because we know that it says that Jesus rides a white horse. Isn't that right? Yeah, he rides a white horse. Well, is this Jesus who is riding this white horse? The answer to that is no. This is not Jesus. Jesus rides the white horse in Revelation 19. You need to probably turn over there for a minute and look. In Revelation chapter 19, it says, when all this is over, whenever he comes to finish it up and to establish his world, it says in verse 11, I saw him who was coming, and he's on a white horse. And he is totally, absolutely in charge. He is coming. But this one in chapter 6 is not Jesus. Who is this? This is the Antichrist. All right? This is the false Christ. Have you heard of the Antichrist? All right. This is the Antichrist who is going to come. You say, well, why would he ride a white horse? Because a white horse in Oriental time, a horse was powerful. It was the most powerful uh, tool they had in battle. And the horse represented power, but it represents a victor who is coming to conquer. And the Antichrist is riding the white horse because for a season of time, he is going to be in charge of this world. For a season of time, he's going to be the conqueror who is overcoming and who is going to rule and reign. But he is the Antichrist. He is the false Christ. He is not the real Christ. Now, remember, whenever you go through the Revelation, something to help you is this. Satan does nothing on his own. He initiates nothing. He's only a copycat. All right? He copies... Anything that, that God does, he tries to copy. If Jesus is going to ride on a white horse one day, what color horse do you think he's going to ride on? A white horse. It's not going to be a gray one. It's going to be a white horse. Because he's going to try to mimic everything that Jesus would do or the true Messiah, the true Christ would do, because he's trying to do what? He is the deceiver, right? He's the deceiver. So as close as you can get to the real thing without you being the real thing, the better chance you have of what? Of deceiving. So he comes in, and he is riding on this white horse. You might say, well, how do you know it's not Jesus? I'm glad you asked. 
I'm glad you asked. Because there are a couple of things that help us to know in the Greek language that you can't tell in the English language. First of all, I want you to see there in verse 2, it says that he comes and he wearing a crown. He's wearing a crown. Well, what does that mean? Go back over to chapter 19. You know what Jesus is wearing? A crown. But there are two distinct words. This is the word Stephanos. Remember I gave you that word before? It's the Stephanos. It's a crown that can be earned. It's a crown that gives to somebody who is a competitor in a game or who won a victory. It's a crown that was given by man to man. It was a crown that was something you could earn and would be a reward of man. That is what kind of crown he is wearing. He is wearing kind of a play crown, an artificial crown. It's a crown that recognizes something, but it doesn't really have any power. Well, he has a crown on his head, but it's not the real crown. For see, when you go over to chapter 19 and you find that Jesus comes riding on a white horse, you know what you find out about him? He is wearing a crown, or it says many crowns, but the word there is the word diadem. And that is a crown that could only be Worn by the king, by royalty, by sovereignty. It's, it's something that was his, not because he earned it. It was something that was his that he was born, birthed into it, or given eternally already that which he has. It can only be something that recognizes sovereign royalty and a high level that cannot be earned. You see, the one riding here in chapter 6, he's wearing one that's just a play crown. But in chapter 19, when Jesus comes, he's wearing a real crown. Distinct difference, a distinct difference. A second thing, though, is this. Notice what it says about him. Whenever he comes in, it says, he sat on it, he who sat on it had a bow, had a bow. Now, that's an interesting thing. The instrument that this one has in chapter 6 is a bow. But whenever you go over to chapter 19 and you read, what kind of instrument does Jesus have? What kind of war instrument does he have? What kind of weapon does he have? He has a sword. He has a sword, which is the word of God. All right? This one comes with a bow, and Jesus comes with a sword, which is the word of God. Now, here's an interesting thing about that, the one who comes with a bow. It says he comes with a bow, but it doesn't say he comes with an arrow. Right? He comes with a bow, but there is no arrow. You know why? Because it points out the fact that this Antichrist who is going to come into this world, he is going to take over this world without war. He's going to take over this world. He's going to become the ruler of this world without any war, without any battles. He's just going to take it over. And you'll see why in just a minute. But you've got to remember, I can't believe anybody did it. Hey, hold on a second. You, you don't see things as, as somebody in the world sees it because you've got the Holy Spirit of God in you. Holy Spirit of God helps you to see things. Whenever the Holy Spirit is no longer here, whenever the Holy Spirit in the church is no longer here, and the one who restrains the evil one, the old deceiver, restrains him, again, when he's no longer here, he'll be able to deceive people beyond what you could ever imagine. The fact he can just walk in and he'll be the ruler because he's going to have the answer to all the world's problems. So here he is with a bow. Riding in on the horse, he's going to become the ruler of that world. Now, another reason you know it's not Jesus is just by association. This is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The next three 
horsemen we're going to read about is terrible, horrible, bloody, violent, ruthless, horrible. Jesus, Jesus doesn't associate with that. You don't, you don't want to tie Jesus, one of the horsemen, with those three things. Amen? If you, if you want to put Jesus together, you would put Jesus with Ahab, Jezebel, and the prophets of Baal, would you? Jesus is going to have a party. He's going to invite all of them to come. No, he doesn't. You know who you would associate Jesus with? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's who I'd associate him with, right? Why? Because they're what? They're children of faith. See, Jesus is not associated with these, but in chapter 19, who's he associated with? Those who come with him will be washed in the blood of the Lamb and be wearing what? The white raiment of those who've been delivered by him. So there's two distinct differences. The only common thing is to both ride a white horse. This one comes to conquer and to conquer in this world in this period. But when Jesus comes, he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Read that when you get home. Take those two. Chapter 6, chapter 19. Compare those two. You'll see there's no way that that's Jesus. Look at the second horseman. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature, that cherubim, saying, once again, come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace. Circle that word. To take peace from the earth, that men should slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. This red horse, red the color of blood. And whenever this red horseman comes on the scene, he comes to bring war in this world. Not war like we think of war, where one nation battles against another nation. That will happen, okay? But it's different. The little word there for sword is the word makaira. And it was called the assassin's sword. It wasn't like a long sword. It was a small, very sharp, two-edged sword that they would carry in their cloak. And they carried their cloak so they could hide it, so that whenever they would come, they would sneak up on somebody and they would slit their throat without them ever knowing that anything was going to happen. And that's the picture of this sword. That's what's going to happen in this world. It's going to be like that. There's going to be all this deceiving, all of this hidden stuff, and death is going to be rampant. It's not going to be one nation against another. It's going to be one family against another. It's going to be citizens against each other. It's going to be just killing, and there's going to be nothing to restrain them. Now we say, well, the reason people don't kill each other right now is because they don't want to go to jail. That's true. They don't want to go to electric chair. That's true. Many people wouldn't kill anybody because they have a conscience about them. It says this is not the right thing. What God? But wait a minute. You're living in a different world. Whenever that happens, the Holy Spirit's gone. Conscience is almost dead. And in regard to that, they will do what they want to do and act the way they want to act. And if somebody crosses them, it's not going to be a matter of they puffed up about them and pouted about them. They'll just kill them. And blood will run everywhere. There's going to be war everywhere. It's going to be a horrible experience in this world. That's the second of the horsemen. Look at the third horseman. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature, the cherubim, say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. 
And I heard, as it were, a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. What in the world is talking about? Well, here's the third horseman is the horseman of famine. Of famine. We don't know what famine is in America. Have you ever been hungry? I'm not talking about you missed a meal or you fasted one day and thought you were going to die. I'm talking about have you ever been hungry? Most of us do not know what true hunger is. But you know what happens? Do you know what follows war? In most cases, what follows war is famine. You know why it follows war? Because when war is going on, the farmer doesn't have time to plant the seed. He's fighting the battle. When the war comes on, that uh, cornfield or wheat field or that which is out there, they don't care about that. If they're going to run through it, destroy it, bomb it, burn it, whatever they have to do, they don't care when war goes on. And when war takes place, the next thing that's going to happen is famine is going to come into the world. It says that the black horse of famine comes into the point that it says a quart, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius was what a person was paid for one day's wages. And a quart of wheat was what was required for one person to have a means of living for one day. Now think about that. Here's a man who goes out, he works all day, and they give him a quart of wheat. That is only enough for his own nutrition. What about his wife? What about his kids? What about grandparents who can't work anymore? In other words, it's describing the fact that there's not enough to eat. There's not enough to have. There's not enough to supply. You realize that that could happen? And it will happen then. Do you know how many people live in the, in the world today? Do you know how many people live in the world today? 7.6 billion people. 7.6. In my lifetime, I remember when it was, it was 2 billion in my lifetime. And it's gone from 2 billion to 7.6 billion. And they project another billion within the next five to seven years. Now, that means that there's more and more and more people coming into the world, right? Being born in the world. But here's the problem. There are very few countries and very few places that actually grow enough to feed the world. Enough to feed the world. And if that gets cut off and that gets shut off, there isn't any helping somebody who doesn't have it because you don't have it. And whether you know it or not, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you need to wake up. The reality of it is, is the time period between what our supply is and what our demand is in our own country would shock you at how short a time it takes us to be in famine. We all think we can go to Walmart or Winn-Dixie and buy it because corn comes in a can. Our beans come in a can or the freezer. Nope. It comes from the field. <laughs> and it's only a short period of time of supply and demand in our own country, not counting the rest of the world. When war happens and they can't do it and one season is shut out, it will be famine. 
And you know what happens when the famine takes place? Listen to me. I know some of you may be doomsdayers. I don't know how many doomsdayers are those people who come together. And I'm not making fun of that. They come together and they put all their food and they stockpile it so they'll have food when everybody else doesn't have food. And they got a lot of ammunition because they're going to have to shoot everybody who's going to come. Let me tell you something. If you, here's, here's the real struggle. If you had that food and that, that was that situation, you had that food, then in order for you to keep your food, you better get ready to kill a bunch of people. Because if they, people don't have food, if people don't have food, they will kill to get food. They will kill for food. You understand that? You remember the story in the, in the Old Testament where there wasn't any food and there was a, in Samaria? Remember what happened? And the woman comes and complains and says, we ate my child yesterday. And she wasn't complaining they ate her child, said, but this woman was supposed to give her child today, and she's hidden him. Can you believe mothers would be killing their own children in order to eat? When famine and hunger comes, it will be chaos. chaos. The black horse. It says, and do not harm the oil or the wine. There are going to be a certain group of people in that time who are going to have some things. You know who those are? Those who are going to sell out. They're going to sell out their lives to the Antichrist. And they're going to have some things, but it's going to cost them, right? Look at the fourth one, fourth seal. And when he broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth cherubim saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. And authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence or plague, and with wild beasts of the earth. Did you hear that? Where'd that, where'd that you first hear that? Ezekiel, remember? Ezekiel said, these are going to be the four judgments of God. We've already seen war. We, we've already seen the sword. We've already seen the famine that's happened. Now, he says, there's going to be plagues and wild beasts. Plagues and wild beasts. Do you realize how many people can die from a plague? We should be aware of that. I mean, we're driven by fear a lot of times anyway, aren't we? Do you realize historically that more people died from the epidemics of typhoid and influenza after World War I, then died in the war. Did y'all know that? More people died from those epidemics after the war than died in the war. And we know there's all kinds of things out there. You got AIDS and Ebola, and you've got super viruses, and we even get afraid when the flu happens, right? Remember this past year when the flu was so critical and people were dying from the flu? And they said, don't go to the hospital or wear a mask wherever you are. Don't breathe. Don't be around anybody, huh? Because we know that plagues can happen and can wipe out generations of people. It has before. And all that has to happen is a plague and pestilence to come in the world. And whenever you have war and whenever you have famine and malnutrition, right on the backside of that is some kind of plague that will kill people in masses. How many is it killed? Listen here, they were given authority to kill one-fourth of the population of the earth. In a matter of a a year or so, 
That would be 1.9 million at our population. 1.9 million people dying in about a year. That's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. How does the first horseman fit in? When all this begins to take place and all this begins to transpire, when does it happen? When the rapture of the church takes place. The old Antichrist, he's going to ride in. And he's going to tell the world, I, I have the answer for the world. I have the answer for the world. And the whole world is going to bow down to him, right? Because he's going to help them to understand how to have peace in the world. He's going to tell them how that he can provide the food they'll need in the world, how he can fight disease in the world. They're all going to come, and they're all going to bow down to him. Even the Jews are going to be deceived for a season because he's going to make a treaty with the Jews. And he's going to make a treaty with the Jews that they'll have peace in their land and let them, allow them to rebuild their temple, which is what they've been longing for and waiting for, to the point that even the sacrifices in that practice begins again. And that's going to happen for three and a half years until after that three and a half years, he's going to break the treaty. He's going to enter into the temple. It's called the abomination of desolation. He's going to proclaim himself Messiah and put down all other gods. He's going to call himself a god. But this right here, This is not the great tribulation. This is the beginning of sorrows. Jesus says in Matthew 24, go back and look at it. He says, and this is just the beginning of sorrows. Then he'll go down a little bit further. He'll say, and then there will be the great tribulation. He's talking about after the abomination of desolation, after that three and a half years, the great tribulation will start. What we just read about are just those things that are beginning of sorrows, which are going to bring the Antichrist in in those first three and a half years. I don't know about you, brother or sister. I don't want to be here. Amen? Amen. We have enough war in my lifetime. We have enough uh, famine in my lifetime. We have enough pestilence in my lifetime. We have enough of that. I don't want to be here where it is unrestrained. And old Satan is setting a trap for this world. Think about it. Pray about it. Do you know that you're saved? Do you know you're headed for heaven? I hope you do. You know somebody who's not, they need to be. If I weren't saved today, I'd give my heart to Christ today. I wouldn't leave this place without giving my heart to Christ. Because you don't know, you don't know, I don't know whenever it's going to be, and it could be today, that he calls his church home. And all this goes into action. All this begins to take place. Are you ready? I hope you are. I hope you know that you are ready. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.